Hello and welcome to Failing Boldly, a podcast that invites people to share stories about failure, resilience, and perseverance. I'm Christian Kuhn, author of the book Failing Boldly and co-founder of Urban Village Church in Chicago. My guest this week is Leslie Jordan. Between 2009 and 2018, Leslie was a part of the Grammy-nominated Christian music group All Sons and Daughters. Now she lives in the Nashville area with her family and is releasing solo music and also overseeing The Fold, a nonprofit that creates spaces and opportunities for songwriters and artists to collaborate and find their voices. We had a wide-ranging conversation on her own faith life, how it's changed over the years, her experiences of being in the Christian music industry, and what the songwriting process is like for her. Plus, a failing boldly first, Leslie sings live her latest song, Home. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Leslie Jordan, thank you so much for being on the Failing Boldly podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hang out and talk with you today. For those um, who may be unfamiliar with Leslie, you may know I was shooting an email to a person at my church uh, and asked her if she knew you. And then I asked her if she knew all sons and daughters, and she definitely knew all sons and daughters. And so, um, but before we kind of talk about your music career, I think it'd be helpful for those who aren't as familiar with you or with all sons and daughters for you just to talk a little bit about your own background and your faith journey. I realize it's a big question, but uh, let's start there. <laughs> How long is your podcast? No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in, in East Tennessee and I uh, grew up going to church um, and uh, became a, you know, a follower of Jesus at a young age. I think I was nine years old and, and you know, looking back on those those big decisions, those monumental moments in your faith um, and, you know, making that decision at nine, like now as a 36-year-old, I'm like, you know, there's there's things that I knew and a whole lot of things I didn't know. And um, But that, you know, really, I think, kind of set the trajectory for my life in terms of um, belonging to something. And, uh, and that's always been, I think, something that I've, uh, I've seen woven throughout my faith is, is belonging is a big part of, of who I am and what I desire and what I desire for other people. And so I think I saw that that was like an, a way to be in. Right. Um, and, um, so yeah, I grew up in the church and, and, um, my, um, my parents divorced when I was 12, and so our family kind of split in two, where I, I moved to Indiana with my mom, and my sister stayed in Tennessee with my dad, and so um, my belonging shifted at that point, and so I feel like that was kind of the beginning of of how my faith started to stretch, and I started to see things a little differently, and, you know, being young and, and kind of being uprooted um, really kind of I don't know, started to, again, another just direction change in my life um, for asking a lot of questions. And um, and I never shied away from that. Even as a kid, you know, my my mom tells me all the time, she's like, you would just ask the the craziest questions. Um, and, and, you know, we weren't really like a, um, we did go to, to church every week and, and, you know, we were involved in a lot of church activities. Um, but from the, the basis of like sitting around the table and talking about our faith, that wasn't our family. You know, we were, um, I think the thing that I learned probably most from my parents was um, faith in action and watching them care for people and, um, and which was a beautiful thing for me. And so um, I think I learned the action part of, of uh, belief before I even really understood the knowledge part of belief, which is, is um, again, probably a good thing um, that I didn't have all the, the, the know-it-all side of things more than the, 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 how to love people well is what I learned. 
Um, so that that was kind of the early stages of my life. I started writing music uh, around that same age, and and that for me was more cathartic than anything else. Um, I enjoyed writing out thoughts and feelings, and so those came out in like angsty teenage songs. And um, was that part of it? Was part of the writing process um, a way for you, maybe not to answer the questions, but at least to get out on paper? Here are the things that I'm wondering about or are curious about. Oh, absolutely. It was exploratory from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, I feel like even in the beginning, a lot of my songs had questions in them. And um, and so it, it felt like a place where I was given permission to explore those things. And, and they could be rhetorical. You know, I didn't I didn't necessarily have to have an answer. Um, and so that I think that was always fun for me. Um, and, you know, I grew up listening to all kinds of music, so I had lots of different influences. But but for the most part, it was, you know, singer-songwriter. Um, I didn't really delve into um, kind of that church music world until I was a little bit older. And, um, yeah, so I uh, started leading worship in high school and led through college and, and um, fell in love with a, a church plant um, that was doing some pretty radical things. It's kind of a wild part of my story. I moved to Hawaii for uh, a couple of years and uh, I did an internship out there and, and um, I was there for a total, a total of almost two years um, at two different times. And, and I feel like I saw church in a new way um, and um, focused on the, the aspect of belonging and um, that you could be at any point in your faith story and you were welcome to belong there. And that for me was, again, you know, I just kind of see those touch points throughout my life. And, um, and so fell in, really fell in love with the church at that point, where it was like, I had, I had really like fallen in love with this idea of loving people. Um, and then I saw, I fell in love with, with seeing the church and how the church was that extension of God's love for his people. And, um, so started serving the church at that age. And yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to like look back on the story and go, wow, all these little, these little threads woven throughout, um, and what has been an important theme in my life. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. And then All Sons and Daughters was, was almost very, it is very random. Um, I was working at a church here in, in Franklin, Tennessee and, and the worship pastor at the time introduced me to David Leonard, who is the other band member. And, he said, you guys have both expressed desire, a desire to write songs for this church. This was back in 2009. And uh, he's like, maybe you guys would want to write together. And at that point, I'd never collaborated with anybody before. The thought of that sounded terrifying to me. Um, but I knew I wanted to write songs for our church to sing. I was curious enough to go, could this work? And um, and it did. And we started writing songs and and sharing them with our community and and um this is the part of the story. I, like I, I hang out with a lot of younger artists now, and they're like, you know, how did it work for you? And I'm like, my story is so unconventional. <laughs> it just doesn't work happen this way. And and I think that's what I honestly the only way it probably would have happened for me um, was that it just happened to me. And uh, so before we knew it, we were you know hanging out with Integrity Music, which is was our our label, and they were asking us to make records and. Uh, so we, we said yes, just kind of under the premise that we would be able to continue serving our church. And yeah, that was over a decade ago. So a lot has happened since then, but that's kind of the origin story of that, that band. So it sounds like you started off pretty simple enough. How quickly before you started writing songs with David, before things started to catch and you realized like, wow, this is bigger than just writing worship songs for our church. 
Yeah, I think we I think we kind of recognize that. Um, well, honestly, it it probably took a while because that was still always the focus of what we did was you know our church community, and I think that's what helped keep us so grounded. Um, it was that we we never wanted to get too lost, and and part of it for me, you know, even. Uh, you know, rewinding a little bit. When I was 18, I was offered a record deal and and I came to Nashville as a senior in high school and alone and kind of was just like feeling the whole thing out and it was going to be a development deal. And they were basically like, you know, here here's what we see for you. And they were kind of like planning my future for me. And I remember sitting there and, and uh, with them and then they were actually with another band and and they were talking to this band about how the lead singer needed to lose weight and how they, you know, it was like all these little things for me where I was like, this is kind of disgusting. <laughs> like, I I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And so I just in my head had had made that decision that this was what all of the music industry looked like and that there probably weren't any honorable people, any trustworthy people. Um, and so I, I spent, you know, the, the latter part of the next, you know, seven years before in, being introduced to integrity, saying no thanks to the music industry and really just kind of keeping my head focused on serving the church, which is what I wanted to do. And um, so I think that actually helped um, us stay on track in terms of you know, there were things happening outside of and beyond all sons and daughters, but we were able to keep our focus um, on our on our community of people, um, and that meant you know not touring as much and being trying to trying to be home as much as we were away, and um, trying to do things on the road that connected us to people and and didn't you know you didn't get in some sort of like rock star mentality where everybody was there to serve you and you know you set up your own gear and you tear down your own gear and you you know it was like. Part, part of that for me was all the things that were my convictions of, um, you know, we were here to serve people. And that's the heartbeat of this whole thing through music or otherwise. It seems to be a pretty mature thing to reflect on when you're 18 and you might have a chance to put your, get your foot in the door and for you to have a, a, a sense that this is, this is not what I want. This is not the road I want to go down. Um, as you reflect back on that, are you surprised that you were able to kind of have that observation or did you have that sense about yourself? Even, you know, you talk about writing angsty, angsty songs as a teenager. Yeah, I think like reflecting back on it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I've, I have spent a lot of time asking my parents, like, what was I like as a kid? And, and they, music and expression for me or, or music in general and, and writing for me was always um, a means for expression and not performance. The performance part for me was always the hard part, the part where I had to be in front of people. And, um, and so it was, I enjoyed sharing stories. I enjoyed sharing music. And I think that shared experience is really imperative, um, to, you know, our, our experiences as humans, but I always, I was always a pretty nervous kid in front of other people. And so I just much preferred to not be on a stage. And so I think at that point in my life, I was like, wow, I, because at the same time, I got offered a position to work for a missions organization where I'd travel around the country and lead worship for, you know, short-term missions organizations. And I was like, that sounds like way more fun to me than, you know, going, moving to Nashville and working at Starbucks, you know, while uh, record labels telling me, um, you know, who they want me to become and how they want me to sound. And so I think looking back, I, I'm definitely grateful for that, um, that awareness and also that decision. But I think it, I think it definitely influenced how, how things, 
you know, worked out in the end for me, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah. And so I would imagine for in the contemporary Christian music industry, and maybe this is just the music industry in general, there are shadow sides of it where you feel uncomfortable and people are directing you, molding you, shaping you into the image that's going to get the most streams, the most people in concerts, whatever. And then I hope, and it sounds like there are also people in the industry who want to um, support you and help your voice be its most authentic. And so is that your experience, kind of both sides of that? Totally. I, I think, you know, like I said, when I was young, I, I only saw one side of it. And that was because that was my only, you know, that was my introduction. That was my first impression. And so I thought, wow, this must be this must be how it is everywhere. Um, and so I, I think that that is why for me how it had to happen that way. Um, because I, I wouldn't have gone looking for that. I wasn't I didn't want to start a band. I didn't want to sign a record deal. Um, I enjoyed the idea of being able to play music with and for other people. Um, but I also loved the church family I was serving at that time and and thought I could do this for the rest of my life. And so there was no dissatisfaction in my life to go looking for those other things. And be, because of my prior experience, I just thought, well, that's how, how it is everywhere. And um, I'm thankful that I was surprised. Um, and Integrity Music continues to be, you know, they continue in my mind to be um, an organization that that uh, breaks those um, first impressions for me. And so they're, uh, they're a company that cares a lot about um, people. And, you know, there's all every company is going to have the bottom line and, and think about business. And uh, but for the most part, we had a lot of autonomy. We were able to make our own decisions and put the songs we wanted on the records we made. And we took a lot of really crazy risks. And, you know, there were there was no reason for them to believe in us. And they did. And so I think uh, all around, it was a really beautiful experience. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm still in partnership with them. I'm a songwriter for them and their publishing. Um, but as an artist, I, I couldn't have imagined a different experience. How did your faith continue to be formed once All Sons and Daughters started making it? So I guess that essentially the last few years. And um, what impact did All Sons and Daughters success have on your faith formation? Yeah, I think I think in that season of All Sons and Daughters, my my faith was definitely still you know taking shape, um, and and part of it for me was you know I, I'm always in books that make me think. Um, my husband is a is a very deep theological thinker, and so you know in our home we have a lot of those conversations. Um, you know, I wanted to continue to write songs that m- maybe you know didn't. Um, I don't know. I I always loved addressing those deeper questions. And even in music where it's like, I, I want to sing about these things. And, you know, we had songs like reason to sing and brokenness aside and things that were kind of like, maybe the church won't sing these songs. And, and typically those were the songs that, that people were influenced by the most because they saw that there was um, reality within the music and they thought, wow, there's a community of people that are singing this song. You know, they're singing like, I need a reason to sing when all the other songs are like, you know, Jesus, you're the reason, you know, it's like, we always have the answer before we're able to ask the question. And, and so I think, um, 
I think there was a boldness within me that I was given permission and an opportunity to say those things in music uh, that allowed my faith to continue being shaped by that permission. And, um, and you know, there there is, there's always shadow sides to things. And, you know, we were fortunate that we were in partnership with a lot of incredible people. You know, we were asked to go out on tour with a lot of really stand-up humans. And, um, you know, early on, we were able to make decisions based on what we wanted to do uh, from what we saw other people do. And, um, you know, how to care for people on the road, how to make good decisions when you're away from home. Um, those were all things that were modeled really well for us. So it, it was a... All in all, it was a really beautiful experience, um, you know, that I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't change much. What then, um, I want to talk about The Fold, this new um, collaborative that you have created. What made you decide to transition out of All Sons and Daughters and into this kind of new phase of your own vocation? Yeah, so toward the end of 2016, we had kind of, I feel like I had kind of reached a max point personally, I'll speak for myself, um, where I, I needed a break from the road. You know, we were doing a lot of touring and we were, uh, we made our final record in, in 2016 called Poets and Saints. And we didn't know at the time it was the final record, but 2016 was just a big year. It was a big year for me personally and, and um, you know, within some family stuff and also within our church back home and within the band. And so as 2016 was kind of nearing the end, um, I just, I asked our, our crew if we could take the following year off. And I said, I think it would be really healthy for me. I think it might be healthy for us as a team, um, for us to Sabbath in a sense and, and try and find, um, try and find balance again for whatever is next in the season ahead. And all of us, you know, in, in any situation, everybody has different things going on in their life. And, and so I think it was the right, the right decision at the right time. And, and so 2017 kind of, um, gave us space to, to, uh, start to ask some of our own questions again. Um, and in that season, my husband and I actually decided, um, to leave the church that we were a part of. And, um, and that, that came, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but ultimately like we felt some leadership misalignment and, and we were, um, we felt like it was probably going to be the healthiest thing for us going forward. And so we left, we left that church. And, and I think throughout 2017, as David and I would kind of get together to talk about what was next for the band, we realized that our, our bullseye had changed, you know, our, um, our church had always been the, the focal point of our music. And without them, um, it, it stopped making a ton of sense. And so we could have probably continued to make records and we could have continued to be a band and continued to tour, but, but we made a conscious decision, not because anything went wrong, but because we kind of felt like it was time. And we always said that, I mean, early on we were like, we're never going to be those old people, you know, just trying to like, like just, you know, drain it just a little bit more. Um, maybe there's an ounce of success in there. Uh, and it just didn't bother us to say, this is, this is it. This is the time. And, um, and to leave in an honorable way and, and to respect one another and kind of the paths that David and I had both, um, stepped into and, you know, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how that ended. But simultaneously the, the fold started for me, um, back in 2016, I was, um, this is such a random story. I am not a, I didn't grow up in a charismatic uh, family or a charismatic church, but over the last few years, like the Lord has just, 
I feel like I hear things. And, um, and so that's been a, a new experience for me. And so in 2016, I was, I think this is in like February or March, I was walking from the bathroom to our living room and I, I audibly heard the word fold. And I was like, what was that? I think, I think because God knows I'm curious, it led me down this path of exploration and, you know, straight to the passage of John 10 and the good shepherd and the sheep know the shepherd by his voice. And, um, and that the sheepfold is a place of safety. There's no guarantee the, the thief won't come in. You know, there's actually like, he basically says the thief will get in, but the only way you'll know the difference is the thief climbs over the wall um, because he doesn't go through the gate because Jesus is the gate. And so I think for me um, in that season, it, you know, it's, it's taken many different iterations, but where we've landed is that uh, the fold, we, we create safe spaces for writers and songwriters to find their original voice. And um, and so it uh, it has become the passion work for my life. I've always um, I've always been interested in nonprofit. Um, I have always, again, going back to the very beginning of my life, wanted to to find safe spaces and spaces for belonging. And I think that has translated into my adult life, as in I want to create safe spaces for people. And um, and that's you know part of after leaving the band, I think I had to grieve. Uh, some of those things and go, what were the parts of me that were in the band? You know, cause when you're, when you're working with a group, I mean, even working at a church, you're like, you're pouring yourself and, um, and parts of your identity into the things that you do. And, and so I had to kind of go back into that house that was built and say, what are the things that I contributed to this and how can I carry those things forward? And, and part of that for me was, um, you know, I loved I loved creating those moments for people to connect with each other and with God, and and so I think that is how the fold, um, you know, started, and and hopefully how it will continue. Can you talk about your own songwriting process? Um, we, I mean, this is a this is a podcast about failure, and so my sense of any kind of creative endeavor, at least for me anyway, there's a lot of starts and stops. Uh, and I may go down one path and I think, oh, I think I've got it. And then I, whatever it is I produce, I write or speak or whatever. And I'm done. I'm like, ugh, that was not good. And so, <laughs> and there are times where I think it's, this is terrible. And people said, oh, I really like that. And so the creative process is still a mystery to me. And so for you in the songwriting process, I would, is it also a, a series of starts and stops of like writing something that you think at first is something great. And then you realize later, like, this is not very good. Oh gosh, yes. I mean, if I had a nickel for every bad song idea I had, <laughs> it's way outweighs the good ideas. Um, and you don't know that they're good until, you know, I think I heard Barbara Brown Taylor say that on your podcast, you don't know what book you're writing until the readers tell you what it is that you're writing. And it's the same for a songwriter. Sometimes you don't even know what the song um, is meant to be until it's finished. And so I think part of that is just trudging through the bad ones and, um, and allowing yourself to have revision. So that's been a big part of my process is allowing those first drafts to happen. So something Anne Lamott says, uh, shitty first drafts, like just let, let the bad idea come out and, and be bold in it. And, um, it's all about just giving yourself the permission to sit down and write and, um, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of, you know, my songwriting process now as a, um, when I'm writing alone, a lot of it is just to come up with an idea. And I, I stopped putting pressure on myself a long time ago to finish the idea in that, in that moment. Um, and I think that has alleviated a lot of pressure. But 
um, over the last 10 years, I have fallen in love with collaboration. I mean, I love it. You know, uh, as I mentioned, it, you know, writing with David was one of the first times I'd ever written with someone else. And, and, and the fear of that and that, like, what if, what if it doesn't work? You know, what if there isn't, um, connection or, you know, what if the song is terrible or what if you bring an idea that you love and it gets hijacked and it goes down a road you hate. And so all those were questions I had early on. And, and now I have just fallen in love with that process so much that I, I get so excited when, when there are folks who have not collaborated before and I get to bring them into that collaboration process. And so, um, I think anytime if I'm working on an idea and I'm like, well, this is just terrible. Um, Oftentimes I'll say, I'm just, you know what, I, I like it enough to, I'm going to bring this to, to somebody. I'm going to, I'm going to play this for somebody and then, and then let's see what happens. Cause I'm with you, man. I don't really know how it happens. It feels like such a magical, mystical thing to me that you can start, uh, you know, a songwriting session that lasts somewhere from two to four hours with nothing. And then you finish with a song. It's, it's mysterious to me and beautiful. And I love it every time. So yeah, it's. It's all about working through those bad things to get to the good things. And it takes an, uh, I think, um, a certain amount of courage to, to offer something to somebody else, not knowing whether they're going to like it or not. And I think sometimes, <clears throat> if I'm honest, you know, if I, uh, it's a little bit intimidating to go into a writer's group, for example, yeah. where you want to share with one another, but there's a part of me that's fearful of what if what I offer people just kind of like, there's silence or they kind of shift uncomfortably in their chairs because they don't want to tell you that it's not very good. And so for you in collaboration, it sounds like the, to be able to have the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to share this, these lyrics or this music or whatever, and then see where it goes. Yeah. I, I think when, when I was introduced to this creative writing process, this is a, it's a part of what we do at the fold. Um, it was a writing method created in the late seventies, early eighties by a woman named Pat Schneider. And it's called the AWA method, Amherst writers and artist method. It's a prompt based writing method, which there's probably tons of them out there. But what I love about Pat's in particular, um, is that it, it has these five principles of this writing method that help keep the space safe for people. And this method has, I think, hold me deeper into the art of collaboration and the beauty of collaboration because it speaks to those things you just talked about, the fears of what if I share this and it falls completely flat? Or what if it's a what if it's a really important part of my life and my story and 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 they hate it? And um so some of these practices in this in this writing method are that uh when you when you do this method with other people, when you when you write and you share, um you can only speak to what's strong. There's no criticism allowed. So um, I'll just, I'll give you kind of an example. So we, you know, we'll sit with anywhere from five to 12 other writers and songwriters and I'll bring, um, you know, a poem that was written by um, Mary Oliver and I'll share that poem and then I'll give everyone 10 minutes and I'll say, now from, from memory or imagination, write about a time where you experienced nature and then they'll go and they'll come, they'll write for 10 minutes and then they'll come back and we'll sit in the space together. Everybody has the same amount of time. Nobody's been given, a, you know, a head start. Um, not even the facilitator. You know, I'm usually writing for the first time to that prompt. And then you're given an opportunity to share with one another. And what happens in those moments is really sacred. And and I will say this, I think it is mostly attributed to those those practices that we speak to the strength of the writing 
Um, and the other part, one of the other ones is that we, we treat everything as fiction. Um, so you may share something that's very personal to you, but us as the people who are going to respond to that writing are going to, are going to speak to not you, the, the narrator in the story, but you, the writer and the narrator is someone different. And so what that does, it separates you from that writing and allows you to see the strength in your writing instead of the emotion that may come up when you tell the story. And, um, and so I think, I think that th- those those two things in particular have had a huge impact on how I how I write and how I create spaces for other writers when I'm inviting them in um, as a as a songwriter or as an artist. Um, for me, my job in collaborating with someone um, is to create a space for them to feel safe to be themselves. And if we write a song that maybe is not a song I would love, uh, but they are excited about it, then then it's a success. It's a win. Um, or maybe we write a song that doesn't do anything. It doesn't go anywhere, but it's just for that moment for me that, but that artist feels like they've been able to share their true voice and their true self. And they're like, man, this is something I've been wanting to say for the past five years, but I haven't been able to say it. I haven't known how to say it. And they all of a sudden feel safe to say it in that space. That for me is what success as a songwriter looks like. And um, and so I, yeah, I give a lot of credit to that writing method and, um, and that's a big part of what we do at the fold is, is helping, helping writers find that voice so that they can, they can be more bold and, and saying what they want to say and how they want to say it. Has your own voice, so we, we talked before we started recording about, I was reading your Twitter feed and, um, uh, you, you're not shy about putting out on Twitter thoughts around anti-racism or police brutality against black people. And so is that a part of your own voice that you think is, has always been there and you've always kind of proclaimed it? Is it something that's been developing? And then how does that come into the songwriting process? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Um, I think I've, I think I've been doing a lot of reflecting on that um, within the last few years. I, I do think it's been something that's been there um uh, the ability to see injustice happen early on as a kid. Um, and we were, we were, um, like I told you, my, my parents did a beautiful job of creating spaces for us to see, um, and be connected to communities that felt different and looked different from us. And, um, and so different wasn't even really a word for me. Um, but I do think as I grew up and, and started to participate in, maybe what felt a little bit more like fundamental Christianity. There were some aspects of it that I felt like became, um, I started to see that there was more exclusion than inclusion. And, and I didn't, and the justice side of things ended up turning into more, um, you know, overseas missions and what can we do for, uh, you know, the marginalized in other countries as opposed to the marginalized in our own country. And, and so those things started to, uh, to really like become apparent to me. Uh, but I think within the last five to 10 years, that has been what's developed for me personally is this conviction of, um, oh yeah, that's always been there. Uh, but now I see it in my, in my neighborhood and I see it in my backyard. And, and so in 2016, when my husband and I left our church, we took a, a full year away from church altogether and we were online pod parishioners is what they call them of the meeting house in, uh, in Ontario and Canada. And, um, Bruxy KV is a pastor up there. We've, we've done some touring with him and just love his teaching and love his heart for the church. And, um, and so, you know, Sundays we would sit in the living room and listen to the meeting house and, and halfway through the year, we just thought, I was like, are we ever going to go back to church? Because I just, I'm afraid that we're not going to find a place that, that, 
will allow us to wrestle with these things and um, the things that we're seeing and the questions that we're asking. And, and, um, and so we just started kind of praying for, for a space, um, you know, and we live in a very, Franklin, Tennessee is very white and very affluent and um, very Christian. And so I think for me, it was, you know, is this even where we're meant to stay? Because it feels kind of like looking for a needle in a haystack when you're trying to look for people who are open to these conversations or even living in a way that that stretches us beyond what we're comfortable with. And so the three things for us, honestly, before we looked for a new church was um, we wanted something that was, you know, in proximity to our house. We wanted to understand the message of Jesus of loving your neighbors from an actual, like, literal neighbor level. Um, and uh, we wanted diversity because our neighborhood f- for where we live is is probably one of the most diverse areas of town. Um, and then we we really desired for that church to be a peace teaching church. And uh, that has been a big journey that my husband and I have been on for a long time. Um, of uh, peace teaching and nonviolence. And um, and so, you know, there's a lot of churches that don't teach violence, but they also don't teach nonviolence. And so, you know, I think we're kind of seeing that there's, that silence plays a, a big, a big role in what the problems, you know, we're facing today in this country are. And um, so, you know, honestly, we, we, we feel like we found, um, the perfect place that meets in a gym down the street from our house. It's called Franklin Community Church. And, uh, it's small and diverse, and our pastor is very passionate about um, connecting um, with the community and, and challenging some of those, um, you know, race issues, especially within our, our small, you know, Confederate-adorned town. Um, and, uh, you know, the first year we lived here, my husband's from the Pacific Northwest, and we lived on in a duplex on one of the main roads that go in and out of town. And it was maybe like the second or third month we had lived there, and he's in the living room, and I just hear him go, babe, what's going on? And I walk out, and I look out the windows, and it's it's a Confederate reenactment, and there's soldiers marching down the street. And, uh, you know, we found out later that there were, you know, members of the KKK that were in the downtown Franklin area, and it just, it shocked him. And I, you know, I grew up in the South, like those things weren't shocking to me, but I realize now they should have been like, wow, this is a, this is interesting that we're still in this, um, in this space. And so, you know, I, th- I think for him, um, and for us, we, we weren't sure we were going to find a community of people that were asking those questions and having those conversations. And, and we've, um, man, we've just found a really beautiful, sweet community around here that are, uh, that are doing that well. And so we've, We've honestly just kind of like eased our way in because we've both been in church leadership and in the past, and you know we've both been um, um, in that in that space of like having to do more, and so we've just been trying to create relationships, and I think that's where it starts, um, especially when you're wanting to understand uh, race relationships and you're wanting to understand inclusion. Um, I think the first step in any part of that process is yes, education, but also relationships. How many people do you know that are different from you? And are you willing to have those relationships at a a greater, greater than just a acquaintance level? Um, and how, and so, um, the last four years for us, three, yeah, Three, three and a half years for us has been asking those questions, putting ourselves in those positions to create those relationships um, and being students um, of the people um, in our community who are asking those questions as well and leading. 
Well, I, what I'd like to do is I normally end these conversations by asking somebody to share a story of failure. So I do want to ask you that question, but then that's not going to be the end of the podcast because you've graciously agreed to sing uh, one of your newest songs. Uh, and this will be a failing boldly first. So I'm excited about that. And the, the themes of that song, I think are very attuned to some of the themes that you've talked about around making space uh, and inclusion and, and those kind of spaces or not only are all are welcome, but that they can have the courage to, to, to be, to be who they, who God created them to be. So let me, I'll first ask you to tell the failure story and then have you uh, sing home. This is, this was always, um, those are always the fun questions, you know, got that in your email, like this, I'll ask you to share a story about failure and, and immediately you're like, my, why are my palms sweating? <laughs> and uh, so it's good. I, I've been honestly kind of trying to rack my brain about one that feels right for this moment. And um, and I'll, I'll share this story with you. Um, it was in January of 2019, and, and I was a part of this gathering uh, called the Porter's Gate. Are you familiar with the Porter's yeah. Gate? So um, Isaac Wardell and, and a lot of other folks, um, David Bailey, there's a there's a lot of like influential thought leaders who are creating these gatherings to um, partner theologians and, and you know, critical thinkers and, and those on the front lines of the racial reconciliation um, and put them in a room with artists and writers. And so have these big discussions around these very um, – large topics and then uh, have the writers and artists write songs that that kind of accompany those those conversations. And so I was very honored to be invited to sit in that space and and felt like most of the weekend I just my jaw was on the floor and I had tears running down my face and it was like I was in a space they were answering questions I, I hadn't even thought to ask. And um and so I was challenged by that. But I do remember there was one night, and, and this was kind of in the height of, of me trying to sort out how, um, you know, how do we create a space that feels like it's not about um, equality but equity. And so it's not just like we're a white space that cares about minorities. Um, and David Bailey speaks a lot to this. Uh, he works for, uh, he, he created this organization called Arbon and, and they do a lot on uh, racial reconciliation within the church. And he's actually... He's actually my next guest after you. Oh, hey, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that man. He's amazing. So he talks a lot about like sitting at tables. And so you can have like a white table and you talk about how uh, you care about minorities or you can invite minorities to your table, but you're still a white space, right? And and so the important thing for us to do is to take our ourselves out of our space and and move into minority spaces. And And so that was a big, that was kind of where I was in that season and I remember just thinking, like, I was kind of anguished by that, like, still seeing these, you know, these spaces that I was in, involved in, but still felt like white spaces. And I was like, well, what's going to happen? How, how are we going to change this? And I was I was talking with the um, with a friend of mine who's a part of this um, Arbonne ministry, and and I think I was sharing pretty candidly, and and she was so gracious and so kind. Um, but I felt like in that moment, it was it was like a spirit conviction of, um, and how she kind of framed it for me was, uh, it's really good that you're feeling these things. Um, but the weight of this, you have to understand, this is not the beginning of this fight. And this is not the beginning of this conversation. It's kind of like picking up in the middle of a game of telephone. Like you're, you're hearing, you're hearing the middle of this 
Um, I don't even think we're near the end of this conversation. And so I, I don't know if it felt necessarily like failure as much as it felt like uh, conviction and correction in a in a very like godly way of um, it's good that you're you're in this fight. Uh, and I think the other part of it that I remember her saying to me was um, stick with it. Do not grow weary because a lot of people who want to see change um, get tired of fighting for justice because it is every single day. And if you don't want to do it, um, you're going to find ways to not do it. And so it was it was conviction and then it was a charge to say, um, if you want to see change, you have to stay connected, keep pushing into those relationships, uh, keep finding people who are different from you who can speak into those things and find thought leaders who are already on the front lines. Um, and, uh, and it was kind of like she was kindly saying, like, it's not up to you, <laughs> you know, like, uh, thank you, but, um, you know. It's good that your eyes are open. So I, I feel like for me, it was, yeah, it was a good moment of, of realization for me. And for white people too, the temptation is because white people can easily es- escape those conversations and totally. can, can go back into white spaces. And so her, her call to you is, is a good one for all of us, all white people to, 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 to stick in there and stick with it. As you noted, it's, it's a daily thing. Yep. And, and, and a daily thing that we'll never know the full extent of, because we will never, we will never face, um, we will never face the things that our, our minority uh, friends have to face on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, uh, if you don't mind uh, singing, uh, I'm excited to, to hear you play this. I really enjoyed hearing this on, on Spotify. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play the piano, which is something that I only do when I'm writing songs with people. So we'll see how this goes. It might be a a total disaster. (laughs) You know what? This is a podcast called Failing Boldly. Exactly. I just want to be able to go on the record and say. I would ask nothing else. This might be a bold failure. (laughs) (laughs) Lay down your guard, lay down your burden Everyone's welcome, this home's made for you Clothed in familiar decorations There's room at the table, a place just for you What's mine is yours, there's enough for everyone you will not be turned away look around let the light wash over you there's room at the table a place just for you
struggle through all your striving the door's always open to come back again here you can find peace like a river and it will surpass all that you understand It will surpass all that you understand. Well, that was amazing. I did my little Zoom hand clap emoji <laughs> and wish wish there could be more uh, to, in appreciation. And, and thanks for that song. Thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. As we live in these uh, very uncertain times, your voice is really needed now more than ever. So I hope everyone gets a chance to listen to your music and continue to follow you and listen to all that you're doing. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me on. And that's this week's episode. Thanks again to Leslie for giving her time for this conversation. To find out more about Leslie, you can go to lesliejordanmusic.com. And if you're an artist and are interested in a space to expand that creativity, you can go to thefold.us. You can also follow her on Twitter and Instagram at It's Leslie Jordan. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast as my next episode will be in two weeks and will feature Denise Pope, author of Doing School, How We Are Creating a Generation of Stressed Out, Materialistic, and Miseducated Students. To find out more about me and my ministry, you can go to my website, christiancoon.com. Thanks again for listening.